Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. This podcast does contain occasional strong language and adult themes. If you are averse to spoilers for the film that is listed in the title, please tune out now, go watch the movie, or, like us, stop at the intermission, watch the movie, and resume the podcast after. Thanks for coming along on this ride with us. Please enjoy. You once said that uh, you like to make an audience scream through technical means. What is it about an audience screaming that you like? Now, those are the kind of questions uh, that the film buffs like to ask. They expect an awful lot of the sort of material that I don't tell anybody. And it was a nightmare. It was an eye-opener. Ignorance. Sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to equal it. I don't have any problem with enjoying a big blockbuster. I'm not a fascist of those boring art movies which when they are over you are glad that they are over and then you celebrate it just as a kind of a superstitious measure i will talk about it so that i don't have to see it again or whatever so in a way our our broadcast was an assault on the uh, credibility of that machine we wanted people to understand that they shouldn't take any opinion predigested and they shouldn't swallow everything that came through the tap we had uh, Orson Welles, Albert Hitchcock, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Roman Polanski. We had uh, Antonioni. We did, it was unbelievable time to listen to these guys talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today I am joined by Michael. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. We're here to talk about a movie. I I wanted to I wanted to kind of start off a little different. I normally ask what your favorite movies are, like mm-hmm. what a favorite genre film is. I wanted to do something that was movie adjacent. What is your favorite uh, to kind of kick us off here? What is your favorite snack to sneak into a movie theater? <laughs> Peanut M and M's every time. Peanut M and M's. You're yeah. so sure of yourself. I, I yeah. That's that's pretty good. I. I do like peanut M&M's, um, although I feel like peanut M&M's, like, I feel like when I sneak them in, they rattle way too much, so I get really paranoid about it, even though I'm like, what are the theater attendants going to do anyway? But I always go for something like, um, you know, like individually wrapped Reese's or something like that, oh, or fair. like, uh, um, my, my new favorite obsession is the uh, uh, white chocolate Reese's, or something like that, oh, yeah. something that's like pretty poppable. I used to really like, but they're harder to find. Um, the little like Nestle Crunch clusters. Oh, those are good. Those are like, Ooh, and they're like those. so much better than like regular Crunch bars, oh, yeah. even though they're the same damn thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is about them, but like those, those would probably be my favorite. But I, I can definitely respect the peanut M and M's. That you can't go wrong. But uh, so I, I don't know if this would be a sort of a flick that you would really want to bring a lot of snacks into, or maybe you'd want to bring more snacks because you'd be depressed or bored or. I don't know what you would be because I, I've, well, let me just give you the description here. A noble Russian woman becomes increasingly jaded with a deteriorating with deteriorating social structures when she receives pickles on her burger uh, after she specifically ordered no pickles. This documentary shows Anna's rise and fall as she goes to see the manager of the whole country. Anna, Anna Karenina. She's, she's a Karen. Uh, anyway, um, that, that's all I could come up with on this one, because I'm like, man. That's fair. Uh, we're talking about Anna Karenina, which, as I had found out when we were looking this up, because you were the one who brought this up, yeah. Anna Karenina, like, has, like, it's been made, like, like 50 times. Oh, yeah. 
or or some some shit like that, which is insane. Oh, also by the way, the director is Joe Wright. Uh, I didn't, I forgot to shout him out. It was made in 2012. We are talking about the 2012 version of Anna Karenina, um, starring Keira Knightley, Jude Law, and a bunch of other people that don't matter except for <laughs> Domhnall Gleeson. But uh, basically, yeah, I didn't know that this movie. Like, I knew that there was a. A 1935 version, which is, like you said, like you had mentioned to me, is probably the most the most widely regarded uh, as the best. And then there are a bunch of other ones starring a bunch of other people, namely in 97, I think it, it was. It was starring Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the Bean Man himself. <laughs> and just, just a plethora of other films. Like, it, it's been done in foreign language a million times it's been done in russia a billion times which is to be expected but it's inexplicably been remade so many times in just u.s hollywood i don't get it it's been a tv show has been made about it multiple tv shows in fact russian (laughs) tv shows french tv shows french movies russian movies any kind of cinema you want this movie has been remade in it so I don't. I don't know necessarily where to go from there on that one. Uh, I can go straight into trivia if you like, uh, per per the the usual, uh, and see how you do. But uh, do you have any like opening thoughts on this film? I, I I guess my only thought is for a thing that's been made this many times and in as many platforms as it's been made, um, it just kind of reminds me of a lot of like Jane Eyre's works. Or uh, Jane Austen's works, I should say. Um, because Jane Eyre was the book by Jane, Jane Austen. Jane Eyre was the book by Jane Austen. I, I think that was a little bit of a self-aggrandizement on her part. Uh, anyway, but like, I, I feel one of Jane Austen's books is remade probably at least yearly, um, if, if not in the States, at least in England. So I think this is Russia's answer to Jane Austen. I think that honestly, Jane, the, the only non... The only stuff in british cinema or television for that matter that is not jane austen based is probably like one or two reality shows the news and doctor who and even (laughs) doctor who is probably questionable at this point because i know at least a few of those episodes have been based on jane austen novels so frankly (laughs) doctor who's probably out anyway um otherwise the british I mean, like they they've got they've got nothing else like what what do they have they have jane austen extraordinarily questionable food tastes and like I, I guess i guess part of an ocean between them and like good cheese <laughs> i will concede they have agatha christie who is also getting a remake oh, every single yeah. year you know what that is fair uh i didn't consider that she is a lot better <laughs> um she is yeah i would I would condone that, but then again, like, whatever, they're the Brits, fuck them. Uh, <laughs> popular opinion. But very popular opinion. So I'm going to go ahead with um, with trivia here. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of trivia on this, If you, and again, I get most of my trivia from the IMDb page, so yeah. most of it is just, I kind of had to stretch for this, so, so it's a, <laughs> we're a little light, uh, it's not as crazy as my normal trivia is, uh, but but here we go. The character of Levin is played by Domhnall Gleeson, uh, but who was originally asked to play the role? Was it A, Robert Pattinson, B, James McAvoy, or C, Army Hammer? <laughs> oh, so I, I have no idea who that character is. Um, uh, Levin is kind of the, so have, have you read the book? 
I have not. No, I haven't read this book either. I am I am passingly familiar with it. Um, uh, as far as Russian authors go, uh, of the big three, um, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, and Solzhenitsyn, mm-hmm. Tolstoy is probably the one I'm least familiar with. Same. But I have a passing familiarity with the works, and Levin, if I'm not mistaken, and I again, I wish I would have double-checked all this, <laughs> um, but I believe he is kind of the the central sort of redeemable character in the film, essentially, because this sort of follows a bunch of... The book follows, like, as most Russian books are wont to do, follow, like, a million subplots <laughs> that have seemingly nothing to do with each other if they ever tie in at all. Some of them do, some of them don't. Or at least they have some sort of passing to do uh, with the other person. So Levin is kind of the, for lack of a better term, the, the, the protagonist, I guess? Okay. Even though the book is about Anna, is titled Anna Karenina, yeah. like Levin, as far as I'm aware, kind of is the, like there's a lot of like, the themes sort of are central to his character and kind of are, I guess, anthropomorphized in him. Okay. Uh, he's kind of the moral of the story, uh, even though as Russian literature is again famous for, they don't have morals, they just have people doing things. <laughs> uh, and then one of them is usually better than the others. Okay, um, I'm going to say, so I know Keira Knightley's in this one, and I feel like she runs in the same crowd of moviegoers as Robert Pattinson, so I'm going to go with my good old boy Robert there. Uh, that is wrong. It was actually B, James McAvoy. Dang. Okay, uh, that makes more sense, but I still disagree. Yeah, I I kind of disagree, too. I actually, I've come come to have a, a quite a fondness for, for Robert Pattinson. I think he got a very short uh, a very bum deal on the whole like first movie twilight thing yeah because i think he's <clears throat> in movies that have not been twilight that i've seen him in and even in twilight he's actually a very good actor mm-hmm. um i think um and he really deserves to be in more things that are not twilight <laughs> it's kind of like um the same thing for me as and again i don't know that a lot of other people have this sort of like thought but so for i I hated Brad Pitt. I mm-hmm. did not like him in anything I saw him in for the longest time. I thought he was just kind of inane mm-hmm. and kind of like, I, I didn't really like him that much because um, I thought he just didn't really have that much of a depth. Uh, and then I saw him in uh, Inglorious Bastards and I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, you know what? No, this guy actually, you know what? He's got something about him. And then I went and I started watching more movies around that time and, 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 and onward. Um, like uh, Burn After Reading, he was great in that. Mm-hmm. God, I'm trying to think of a bunch of other ones, but like I've seen him in a lot more films now, and I'm like, you know, I really have an appreciation for this guy. Uh, it was the same thing with DiCaprio, uh, where I saw him in. Um, again, it's Tarantino. It always comes back to Tarantino. <laughs> oh, yeah. If Pattinson does a Tarantino flick, I think a lot of people will love him. Frankly, uh, <laughs> Tarantino, if you're listening, <clears throat> he's not. Um, <laughs> look, look, dream I big, don't dream big. Uh, as long as I was going to say Tarantino only cares about whose feet he can put in the movie. If Robert Pattinson <laughs> doesn't have cute feet, it's not going to happen, um, which I wouldn't know. Um, anyway, so yeah, it was uh, James McAvoy. So one of the interesting things about this movie that I found out uh, was that basically just an assload of people were supposed to be in this movie or were approached for this movie and then not. Basically, in the movie, and this isn't going to spoil any of the other trivia really, but uh, James McAvoy was supposed to be Levin. Uh, Saoirse Ronan 
was supposed to be in this movie. Okay. Kate Blanchett was supposed to be oh. in this movie. Benedict Cumberbatch was supposed to be in this movie. <laughs> like, they were all approached. Um, and actually, Robert Pattinson was considered for a role in this movie, too. But he also... Uh, I don't know if he turned it down. It doesn't say anywhere. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but there were so many people that were approached for this movie that uh, apparently, like, Joe Wright had, like, worked with before. Yeah. It was sort of a revolving door of people getting cast on this one. And I don't know if that has, if that bodes well or if that's just, oh, you know, like, because I know in Saoirse Ronan's case, it was because she was offered uh, two films to do, uh, which I can't remember the first one. I think it was Byzantium and then The Host. Oh. Um, which, you know, the host is like, you know, that's really good. But like, she was offered like, um, she was offered those roles, but the filming of this movie was so long that it was going to take a lot longer than a standard movie to film. She's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. So I'm wondering like, is that boding well for the quality of the movie itself? Because all of these people Mm -hmm. turned it down or is it, and like all of these sort of, I would say mostly B-list or not necessarily washed up because Jude Law's kind of had a renaissance, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, of of late. Although I guess this was probably back when he was in 2012. Eh, maybe he was still trying to get back on that bandwagon. Um, but basically, Keira Knightley, she kind of had her, her little run for a while there. And I think 2012 would have been the end of it. So, And then it was a lot of unknown. So I... Eh. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, like I said, I mean, that that's happened before where it's just like casts have just been revolving doors and it seems to not usually not be a good sign. I don't know if the cast so much worries me with a movie like this because it is an adaptation of like a really famous work. A lot of people are, might look at it and go, I'm not ready for that kind of a role, or I don't fit the kind of a role you want me to be in. Um, more likely than not, it's going to be a, a bad sign rather than a good sign. Um, but I, going in, I don't think I'm going to be sketched out by that so much, especially knowing as little I do, as I do about the story. Yeah, I, I think, I think yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you, so... Uh, anyway, moving on with trivia. Um, zero for one. You're zero for one right now. Um, second question. Several times during during the film, in the bedroom sequences, uh, Jude Law's character Karenin would take out uh, would take what item out of a small oblong box? Is it A, a gem studded ivory butt plug? Okay. Uh, B an heirloom cock ring with the family crest or C, a reusable condom. Oh. It is one of these it three is items. It is one of these three items. Okay. So you've got a gem-studded ivory butt plug, an heirloom cock ring with the family crest, uh, or a reusable condom. Okay. Um, I, I... I like the theming of a reusable condom. Um, I think it's very environmentally conscious of, you know... 19th century Russia. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with that uh, the good old good old condom. You are correct. It oh, is yeah. a reusable condom. Uh, apparently, film. Uh, um, apparently, a lot of audiences were very confused by this. <laughs> They're like, "What is this?" Because <clears throat> without having seen the movie, I don't know how prominently displayed this thing is. But uh, as per the time period, um, you know, vulcanized rubber was not necessarily a thing. <laughs> 
Um, so what people would do is they would use essentially uh, reusable uh, either uh, goat, sheep, or pig intestines that mm-hmm. was fashioned into a reusable condom. And you would have to wash it out every time. Now, that being said, one of the fun, <laughs> one of the points of trivia on this one was that uh, essentially that at the time rubber condoms were beginning to become a thing and so someone of Karenin's social and social and uh, like wealth status would potentially have some of some disposable ones on hand as a status symbol uh, but this is a it was sort of a traditional sort of I guess a decision by um, by the the filmmakers to have it this way uh i don't know if it's ever mentioned in the book because again i haven't read it um Mm -hmm. or if that's a big plot point but yes it is a reusable condom wow that is uh that is um used multiple times by jude law uh and his character karenin i don't really know where we can take that other than (laughs) this movie is by all standards and i wouldn't ever say that any of the like you brought up the good comparison to jane austen right Mm -hmm. That I don't know that this is necessarily a, a chick flick, but it's probably very chick flick adjacent if it's not. Um, just the look and feel of it, it's got that sort of chick flick with a drama sort of attached to it. And, and I know basically the plot. Essentially the plot is you've got this heiress who is a big to-do in this family. Uh, there's some guy who basically says, hey... Uh, divorce your husband and run away with me because I love you and all this stuff. Okay. And then she eventually does, and it brings shame on her family and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. It's repeating past events that because her brother was in a similar situation mm-hmm. and yada, 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 and all this stuff. And then not to mention, like, I guess there's a whole big to-do with the Russian Orthodox Church, and they don't like it. And then there's this other subplot for these other characters who are, like, struggling with their faith. And then, like, at the end of the movie, they come back to it. But then everyone else is all sort of wonky. Like, that's sort of where it goes. It's, like, this weird, like... And I would describe this as as a general thing with a lot of these Russian authors. It's it's a mixture of... And this one is uh, kind of a mixture of from what I know of it, uh, sort of a realism style of writing and a modernist style. So basically the modernist style is to deal with things that of the modern world, basically the transition from modern to, um, or from sort of the, like the, like the, like the imperialist era to the modern era, right? Okay, yeah. So you deal with a lot of those themes and the traditions of the social standings and like what is, and is not a faux pas coming into direct conflict with, Modernism, but you put it all in a backdrop of instead of like really crazy things happening, like aliens attacking, it's just people just harvesting wheat in a field all day <laughs> and then coming home and complaining about it while drinking vodka. Like that's, and then like social situations, like dances and stuff like that. That's literally what, <laughs> what it is, which like to me, it's. I don't know if that would lend itself to being a better movie than a book because I feel like, frankly, I, and I've read again enough enough Dostoevsky and Solzhenitsyn to know that, like, while I love them dearly, they kind of prattle on a lot about shit that I don't give a fuck about. One hundred percent fair point. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. So I I get the feeling that based on sort of that, uh, and then just this. It's just this weird, weird thing, like, 
you know, hey, you've got this like weird thing that people don't understand what it is. Oh, it's just a reusable condom. That's just a real life thing that happened. Like, okay, <laughs> cool. It's not out of the ordinary. Nothing here is out of the ordinary. Um, <laughs> anyway, you're one for two here. Oh. Let's uh, let's try a third one. Russia is famous. 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 I can't talk. Russia is famous for its harsh wilderness. During filming of some on-location scenes, the production team had to do what for themselves and actors Domhnall Gleeson and Alicia uh, Vikander? Was it A, set up a physical telegraph line to keep in contact with the rest of the crew in St. Petersburg due to non-existent cell or satellite coverage? B, dig through a mile's worth of snow after multiple avalanches hit near the film location? Or was it C, hire armed bodyguards to protect them from hyper-aggressive wolf packs and bears? <laughs> uh, when you say wolf packs and bears, is that like the wild animals or is that just normal Russian peasants? Uh, actual hyper-aggressive animals. Okay. Although I can't, I can't say that there weren't like some like, like feral dudes in, in Adidas tracksuits there as well. <laughs> Bleed. Um, I, I have honestly no idea. If you can believe it, I have no idea what the answer is. Um, I would absolutely believe, um, the snow. I don't actually know how much it snows out there in the wilderness, but I'm going to go ahead and say, just because I, I, I like how fanciful this sounds to a modern man. Uh, they set up a telegraph line for communication purposes. <laughs> um, that is incorrect. It was it was the wolves. Um, <laughs> there were just in the wilderness where they were. It was just so bleak that there were actually just hyper aggressive wolf packs and bears um, in the on location. So they had to hire armed guards to be able to protect the team. I'm disappointed by that answer, but I am still excited to know that we need to defend ourselves against the wild elements of wolves and bears that that is true although there is and and again when i came up with the question i thought there's a certain whimsy in that that i really like about setting up not just like a telephone line but specifically a telegraph line (laughs) where it's like oh yes we 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 can't even get a satellite phone out here fuck it we'll we'll lay a telegraph line (laughs) um because it's probably i mean i imagine like if you had to it's probably fairly cheap to get the line for a telegraph I can't imagine it being super expensive and then just throwing up an old school telegraph and then just having like some some weird hobbyist who knows how to use it on either end. Like it's got it that that just tickles my whimsy fancy. (laughs) Honestly, I thought this was going to transition into. So did you know that Jude Law spent five hours learning how to use a telegraph line so he could keep in contact with the rest of the film crew? Uh, He is not Daniel Day Lewis. (laughs) fair so um we always we always come back to daniel day lewis don't we (laughs) he's a good example of many things i'm not gonna say wrong or right but just many things about hollywood just things just things uh just hollywood things (laughs) um yeah so that's that's the trivia so there you go you uh you lost uh unfortunately (laughs) the trivia portion sad uh there was no prize and there is no penalty this time for losing so cool there you go um so i i kind of want to come back a little bit because i want your thoughts on this before we get into like actually rating this and 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 going into what we what we think that we're going to say about it why do you think this movie has been remade so much 
Um, I, especially when the when the thirty five the nineteen thirty five version is considered, frankly, superior. Oh yeah. Um, like, I, I, and I'll, I'll I'll let you respond before I, I weigh in on this one because I want to know what your thoughts are on it. So I I'm gonna give probably a twofold response. The first one being, uh, it's really easy to lose money making a film. I don't think anyone's going to argue that because there are so many films out there that just get panned by critics or the audiences don't understand it and your $60 million budget uh, returns no money on investment and your film uh, career is gone because you are bankrupt and living in poverty for the rest of your life. So to just adapt even a story that has been made before is a much safer investment than saying i'm going to uh you know write the next i mean because a lot of films are just adapted from books or Mm -hmm. you know there are authors out there who write books that are intended to then become uh movies um just because it's a great way to make money it's it's a fine little cash cow but you know it's hard to say i'm gonna become the next great director and i don't totally blanking on a movie that's like um been made that hasn't been based off of a comic book or a novel or a television show (laughs) or a video game at some point it seems like most of them have all been that way yeah, I think that where you really don't find a lot of that is probably in the horror genre. There's a lot yeah. more creativity, I feel, and originality in the horror genre. But then again, a lot of a lot of horror, like again, to its not credit, is that they kind of riff on the same things a lot. Like oh, yeah. it's it's a very narrow genre, especially if you're thinking like like slashers. Oh yeah. At the end of the day, you boil it down to psychopath, su- psychopath, supernatural, or otherwise is after girl. Girl runs away, a lot of people die in between, and then she somehow comes out on top. Like, oh, that's yeah. that's the formula. Like, it's been done <laughs> so many times, but, like, every time they do it, like, you know, as long as you come up with some cool new kills or, like, maybe, like, a neat, nice, neat little twist, I think most horror fans, like, accept it. Yeah. Um, but in this case, like, yeah, I get what you're saying. So that from that perspective, I see what you're saying there. It's like, yeah, you want something that's safe, so that's why in the horror genre like if you make a solid slasher you're still gonna make money Mm -hmm. so like in this case yeah like you're not gonna lose out now i i kind of want to look to see what the budget on this one is Uh, i don't have that information here but from what i understand like the filming length on this was so long Mm -hmm. um that people turned it down that i i have to (laughs) suspect that it was a fairly expensive movie to make and considering that it was a lot of it was filmed some of it was filmed on set but a lot of it was filmed in the like you know wilds of russia <laughs> that there had to have been a lot a fair amount of expense with that too just mm-hmm. just to do that but as far as that goes like i i think and it's weird too because i think that this is one of those things where and i don't i know that the original the first one in 35 the anna karenina um, that was very widely uh, regarded as very good, uh, which I haven't seen either, and I, I might at some point. But uh, that one, and then all of the subsequent ones after that, uh, and even there were some before that, frankly, if I remember correctly, because I think there was a couple silence 
uh, made uh, prior to the 35 one. Really, a lot of it comes down to, I think it's just maybe these weren't quite such Hollywood beloved classics because you think Anna Karenina, it's like that thing where they're making a new Jane Austen movie every year in Britain (laughs) where it's just people forget about it and then we just want to update it with just new faces because (laughs) people mainstream audiences i feel don't like to go back and watch black and white films they Mm. don't like to go back and watch movies that were like if it's not a classic like i'll I'll throw one out here like the godfather right yeah it was made in this it was made in the 70s and it's relatively dated but people go back and still watch that because they you know allegedly it's a classic like I have I have opinions on that, and you can go and listen to an episode on that. Um, I can link that in the show notes, but um, and you can figure out what I think about it. But basically, unless it's something like that that has a special place in people's hearts, which mm-hmm. I don't think, as far as I'm aware, that Anna Karenina has a any sort of like cultural awareness like that. Now, maybe it does in Russia. And I don't know how well this movie did with international audiences, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how well, like, the Russian versions of Anna Karenina did, too. So I think what it is is that you're you're right. It's probably just that they are trying for an easy cash grab for a safe property that has been tried and true, mm-hmm. but is not necessary. It's, it's enough off the beaten path as far as cultural awareness that they can just get away with remaking it a million times. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of my thought on that one but i think you're probably onto something uh with that because it's just it's just so easy to like like especially with something like this mm-hmm. where you have there's you don't have to have a big budget for special effects you don't have to have like yeah you're probably gonna have a pretty decent costume budget but like you don't have to pay like animators you know hundreds of millions of dollars you can probably pay like a few you can you can pay like a a good studio a couple million dollars and they'll they'll make clothes again i don't know what the budget is on this one but generally speaking in terms of like how much money you spend on the clothing versus how much money you spend on uh on special effects especially in movies now it's it's got to be astronomical the difference oh yeah so it's an easy film to make uh, as well mm-hmm. that you don't have to like I don't have to get stunt doubles I don't have to get alleged, assuming <laughs> I don't know they might have doubles here and there but like they don't have to have a, an army of stunt doubles they don't have to have people training on how to use on proper sword techniques like in the Lord of the Rings like they don't have to have like a someone with a fucking forge like churning out like plate suits of plate armor like they don't have to have stuff like that they just have to have the people sew some shit and then and then like oh yeah like maybe we can just take dialogue straight out of the book and then like cobble it together in a way like that's probably where most of the work happened and frankly they can watch a few of the movies that came before and just be like hey we like these scenes we're just gonna kind of mostly do this uh and again i haven't seen all of them so i don't i don't know but like you're right i think it's just it comes down to ease cash grab uh and then just just that sort of like um like it's a it's a safe property yeah right yeah yeah um i i don't know it's it's definitely interesting this was not one that was really on my radar one other thing i had a question for you and this is more Mm -hmm. This is more on the literature end of things, and and you read a lot more than I do. Although I would say I've read a fair amount of Russian literature, uh, more than the average bear, as it were. How do you think, in general, 
Russian literature translates to film? Because if you have you seen any other Russian literature films? Um, I'm going to be honest. Russian literature in general is kind of a, a point where I'm lacking. So I've read, um, I've read the Brothers Karamazov. There's no way that that's going to translate oh, God, well no. into anything less than I, I don't know. Netflix, pick it up. You guys like to make long. Honestly, series. like yeah, I think a Netflix adaptation of Brothers Karamazov, like like oh, yeah. sort of. Uh, like I mean, you 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 maybe sex it up a little bit, mm-hmm. like, and you're fine. Like yeah. that would sell. My my only problem with that would be they would um, Netflixifies it if if that's a word I can use. They would put a bunch of like gay or a lesbian or black. And while I'm I have nothing against you doing that with your properties, Netflix. It's the brothers Karamazov, and if you really fuck with it, I will find every six. <laughs> I'm not going to say the rest of that because it sounds too much like a threat. Um, but please don't fuck with such a great book that even I loved it. And I hate anything that just drags on with weird descriptions of a rotting body that everyone thought was incorruptible. It's a great book. I loved it. It is a great book. I do love it as well. I think you're right. Um, like, yeah, that one wouldn't be a good movie at no. all. Um, and as far as I'm aware, that had many more back and forths than uh, Anna Karenina, yeah. as far as like number of characters and going back mm-hmm. and forth. Now, like another like another property um, of uh, Tolstoy's was War and Peace. They have made a War and Peace movie, which I find oh mind boggling. Or at least they might have made multiple War and Peace movies. Yeah, um, I did read War and Peace. That was a slog, dude. Oh. I I stopped. Gosh. Um, I, I greatly prefer, and, 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 and this gets in more into literature, but mm-hmm. like, uh, a day in the life of Ivan Donosevich, uh, or like, uh, the death of Ivan Illich, mm-hmm. like stuff like that, where it's the Russian novellas. I think that's where those authors really shine because they really stick to sort of one subplot. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to ever get into Russian literature, go that route, read a novella, like read, um, Cancer Ward. That's a great one. Cancer Reward yeah. is great. That's Solzhenitsyn. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to read the Gulag Archipelago, <laughs> which is three, three volumes of, volumes. like, oh what? Like, 5,000 pages a piece or some shit? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic, but don't... Don't oh don't start there. Don't. Um, like, even, I mean, even Cancer Ward was kind of on the longer end, but it was still... It was still like a self-contained enough that I could read it without taking notes on the side as to which character was which, had which nicknames, who they were in a relationship, who they hated, who they haven't met yet, so they don't know them. See, like that's the thing too, is that like is that like because it's some um, and again, because we're not Russian, we don't get this because like everyone has like you've got your name, right? Yeah. Like this is the person's name. This is what they refer to themselves in the inner monologue as. Mm-hmm. Then you have here's the name my parents call me, <laughs> yeah. and then here's the name that my friends call me. Here's the name that my husband calls me. Here's the name that my mistress calls me. Here's the name that my that my babysitter uh, calls me. Here's the name that my cousin twice removed who lives in <laughs> France's babysitter calls me they all have specific weird names and then they're like oh yeah by the way like there's also another character by that name <laughs> that also goes by the babysitter's nickname for you <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> and it's just so hard to follow sometimes <sighs> because you are not Russian and you don't <laughs> understand these cultural idioms <laughs> 
Honestly, yes. Just, and I think maybe that's why Anna Karenina specifically has been, um, there is less of that. more. Yeah, there's less of it, and it's an easier story to follow if what I have been told is true. It's, I mean, it's it's a great story of she has bad marriage, turns into bad divorce, turns into well, maybe this was a bad idea. I'm sure she kills herself at the end or something. That sounds pretty Russian, right? Yeah, I mean, usually it's there's like this one person who has some sort of weird conversion to whatever, like whether it's back to Christianity or yeah. to whatever the prevailing thought is of the day, what uh, or whatever the author is trying to convey, which is usually some sort of like peasant ideology, like like oh yeah, I'm trying to like show the relationship between the aristocracy and the cossacks like whatever <laughs> and then like the like the main the one character at the end like has some sort of revelation but then like 20 other characters kill themselves or something <laughs> like that's or, or like or like a priest becomes like apostate or like somebody who was a complete degenerate becomes a priest or a monk or right. something like there's always something like that where it's like you you have this you have this this mundane situation where someone has a long conversation with someone and then and then it essentially turns into them changing their mind and then doing something that is diametrically opposed to what they were doing before. And that's the es- essence usually of Russian literature. I've changed my mind completely and I'm going the <laughs> other way now. There is no middle ground and I have found a better way. Um, screw my past self and that's it. I'm either going to kill myself or just move on. Uh, and it's it's just, it, but it's always these weird long conversations <laughs> with someone like, in like an in like an alleyway <laughs> or like a pigsty i don't know <laughs> so i don't i don't know how well that translates to film frankly yeah. i haven't seen any of these movies translated into film i i don't know what do you, what do you what do you think like did, did you feel like that like goes well into film cuz i'm i'm frankly not sure <laughs> i i feel like as what most people do with adaptations is they take certain parts or they take the theme or they take, you know, this, this idea and they kind of run with that as their main focus, which if you've read the book, which I have not, then it's going to detract from the quality of the movie. Um, Personally, having not read the book, I don't know I'm going to have to rate this based on what the movie's like. And later I'm going to read Anna Karenina, or I'm going to find Android Karenina, which I've been told is also <laughs> very good. I've heard that is actually quite good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to have to, like, backwards engineer this decision to say whether it's not, not it's going to be a good movie based on reading the book after the fact. Um, I, I think... It's been done enough times that it has to be at least plausible to adapt Anna Karenina into a movie, especially since some of them have been critically acclaimed. And whether or not this is going to be a good one is going to be heavily contingent on the actors um, and the direction that the director took it in. Um, yeah, I, I agree. So so let's 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 get our final thoughts here on mm-hmm. this before we go and sit down and watch this movie then we'll come back and tell you what we thought of it mm-hmm. uh, and we can we can kind of hone in on, on our thoughts so on a scale of and and you did mention this too 
What do you what do you actually before I do that? What mm-hmm. do you think of the actors in this? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm just going to focus on Jude Law and Keira Knightley. Um, I'm not super familiar with the other actors enough to make really a sound decision on them. Um, Keira Knightley in her reprisal of Elizabeth Swan from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is not going to be fantastic. Um, I don't remember if it came out before or after this, but I think she did a Pride and Prejudice. It was before. It was before. Okay, and that was one of the almost trivia questions because oh. her brother, uh, her brother, the guy who plays her brother in this, yeah, or in that, plays the love interest in this. That's weird. Yes. Um, that's very. That's almost German. That oh would be gosh. a fun. That would be. That would be. Well, I guess fun in a masochistic way. A fun like double feature. <laughs> Um, anyway. Her brother suddenly like wants to like bang her, and they're all like, inexplicably Russian now. Oh gosh! <laughs> you know what? I'd still watch it anyway. Um, I I'm not a huge fan of Karen Knightley. I I think she can be a little samey from role to role. Not that I've seen her in a whole lot, and the my, my impression from what people have told me of her Pride and Prejudice remake. Um, it was not good. It was supposed to be a period piece, but it wasn't or something along those lines. Like there's a scene where she's in her bedroom in her nightgown and a man walks in to just talk to her because, you know, that would totally happen. Yeah. In, <laughs> in any point in history um, prior to like what the 1900s or Honestly, probably that. like the 60s, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. And even then it was frowned upon. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so for Kira Knightley, probably not great prospects. No offense, Kira Knightley. I'm sure you're a great person. Or I don't know, maybe you eat babies. Um, Jude Law, I go back and forth on him as to whether or not I like him. And I got to be honest, it might depend on who else is in the movie with him. Um, because I might just like him in movies where I like the other actors. And that's, I take him or leave him. He's just kind of there. I, you know what? I think I'll kind of agree with you on Jude Law in a sense. So I, I will throw this down as maybe maybe a, a hot take here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought he was not good in artificial intelligence. Okay. I thought he was pretty garbo in that. There are a few other films um, that I, I can't remember the names of now, but I remember him distinctly being awful in. But, but I think... I've seen enough of him in certain things to where I think that there are, he has a lot of redeeming qualities. And I think Mm -hmm. it's about, because he plays off really well with certain actors. Not necessarily it's about, it's not necessarily other actors bring him up. I think he just has good chemistry with other actors. Okay. And I'll throw one example out here. I think that he is the best Dr. Watson in any, in any adaptation of Sherlock Holmes ever made. That's I forgot he was Watson. Yes. And he was really good. Okay. You know he, what? I'll... I and again, there yeah. there are gonna be people who crucify me for this. And I am, yes, putting him over top of of like um uh, oh god, I don't even remember the name now. Um Martin Freeman and the <laughs> dude who was who was frankly excessively good uh pairing with Basil Rathbone in the older Sherlock Holmes. Like mm-hmm. uh God, I don't remember his name now. I used to know his name. Uh, show notes, maybe. That guy. Know. That guy, <laughs> uh, who is a phenomenal Watson, too. But Jude Law, I think best Watson 
um, okay. frankly, in anything. So I, I like him. Now, Keira Knightley, I can take her leave. I yeah. don't think she's as bad as everyone says she is. She has a certain niche that she fills, and I think she does it fairly well. Um, like, have you ever seen the movie Domino? Uh, I have not, no. Uh, it's her, Mickey Rourke, and some other dudes, and they're bounty hunters. Huh. And it's basically Dog the Bounty Hunter, <laughs> and Mickey Rourke is Dog, and Keira Knightley is, like, you know, his assistant. And it's honestly... It's kind of a garbage movie, but I think that they do it very well. And I think, like, and I think she was good in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, yeah, the the role fitter. I will say I am excited to see what Domhnall Gleeson does because Domhnall Gleeson, I think, is a very good actor. And I think he needs to be in bigger roles mm-hmm. uh, because the ones I've seen him in are great. He's actually, I believe, Brendan Gleeson's son. Okay. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, the, the older gentleman from In Bruges. Um, for uh, people who have seen in Bruges, people who have seen in Bruges, um, Brendan Gleeson, very good actor, and I think that he kind of inherited his father's gift, uh, as it were. Uh, I believe again, like I said, I think he's Brendan Gleeson's son. Okay. He might be like related, um, but everything I've seen him in, he has been very good in. He was in, um, he had a bit role in uh, the remake of True Grit. Uh, he was in, oh God, there's a bunch of other things that I had on the top of my head, but now I've forgotten, but he's good in everything I've seen him in. Okay. So this, he seems to have a bigger role in. I'm optimistic about him. Okay. Uh, so with that being said, on a scale of zero to five snake Pliskins, where do you think you fall on this? Uh, I was actually thinking about how I was supposed to rate this on the way over and couldn't honestly put myself anywhere realistically. So I'm going to go true neutral ground, just say three snake Pliskins, and we'll see if I'm higher or lower afterwards. Um, that's just like a literal, I have no idea. I to rate this. Yeah, I... So you're going with three. Yeah. All right, cool. I I respect. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, because again, this is not my type of movie at all, but I'm going to go a... I'm going to... Because I think that I'm going to like a couple of the performances, probably, mm-hmm. and it's Russian literature, so I want to like it more, uh, but I'm going to probably have to come in at a solid one Snake Plissken. Okay. A singular, solitary snake pliskin. And that's that's where, where I'll leave it. One, one last thing, though. Okay. Uh, I just had a like a weird shower thought, basically. All of these Russian, like, movie or novels, mm-hmm. a lot of them are just a lot of, like, verbose dialogue and, like, weird details. Mm-hmm. Do you know who I'd like to see translate or, 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 or do a version of one of these films? Quentin Tarantino. Oh, my God. Tarantino, I think, <laughs> has a real future in Russian literature remakes. Throw a katana oh, or two in there, and you're fucking on. Um, you know, I, I never thought I would see Anna Karenina's feet, but, you know, maybe someday in the future. All right, well, we will be back after we see this movie, and we'll let you know what we thought, and we'll let you know how many feet we see, <laughs> for Quentin Tarantino's sake. Oh, Karen and everything. Do you think my husband will make you a present of me? Leave him. Leave him and be your mistress. Yes. Run away. Would you die for love, Konstantin Dmitrovich? I would. I consider jealousy to be insulting to you and degrading to me. But it's my duty to remind you that we are bound together by God. And this bond can only be broken by a crime against God. I humiliated myself once. Oh, damn you, Kostya. You love Kitty.
Unity. First, you fucked it, and then you bungled it, and then you ran away from an 18-year-old girl who's made a fool of by a uniform. I wish to warn you that you may inadvertently, by indiscretion and carelessness, give the world occasion to talk about you. I am not a committee. Please say what you want to tell me. Do I have a chance? Of course you do. Shabatsky's giving a soiree this evening. Get there early, before the crowd. And if I may suggest... Anything. What? New boots. Right. An impure love is not love to me. To admire another man's wife is a pleasant thing, but sensual desire indulged for its own sake is greed. A kind of gluttony and a misuse of something sacred, which is given to us so that we may choose the one person with whom to fulfill our humanness. Otherwise, we might as well be cattle. Perhaps I was mistaken. No, you were not mistaken. I love him. I am his mistress. Hello and welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm Mike, I'm here with Michael, and we just got back from watching Anna Karenina. Man, before we really get into it, mm -hmm. you had a tentative three out of five Snake Pliskins, and I had a tentative one out of five <laughs> Snake Pliskins. For my part, I swung wildly. Did you? Okay. I did. What, what did you do? I did come up. It was clearly better than I expected. And I was going to say, if you didn't come up at least a little bit, maybe not because you liked the movie, but because some of the stuff they did was very cool, I would be disappointed. So I think that's the name of the game, Yeah, is that they did a lot of cool stuff that was just really nice and cool from a cinematography standpoint, but they also, I feel like, captured the Russianness of oh, the yeah. novel in a way that I don't think that you could have any other way no and i don't know if i will ever try to watch another adaptation of this novel because i feel like i might be disappointed in the other adaptations so i'm gonna be real when i went into this i was thinking okay this is not my style of movie mm -hmm. i don't like victorian era period pieces yeah unless they're like you know poirot or yeah something like that like a mystery like like mm -hmm. father brown but it's got to be like a mystery okay and yeah. the mystery is what keeps me kind of engaged mm -hmm. not really the backdrop right okay yeah this one it was very much so that the backdrop was just as interesting as the characters and in fact in most cases more so <laughs> uh absolutely agree <laughs> loved all of the stuff just oh my i couldn't focus on anything at one time really because there was just so much stuff going on i mean that's of course when you're like in russian society and parts of the movie and there's it's clearly this dramatic stage performance and then you get out into the field and there's like nothing there and i just take a moment to kind of breathe in which i think makes sense because you're outside for those and uh just watch all these random russian peasants <laughs> working in the field i'm like goodness I can't stop watching. Yeah, I was so engrossed. And I thought that it was going to be one of those movies where I just kind of sat and yeah. like was just, all right, this is a chore to get through. I'm committed to watching <laughs> it. I'll f try to follow it. But, and, and here's the thing, like I've never read Anna Karenina mm -hmm. and I, I know the plot, at mm -hmm. least in part, for the most part, I know that the general bare bones of it. Yeah. I thought that this was going to be like most other period pieces like this. You have, you're still trying to figure out who is who and who's who's diddling who who's having a feud oh, yeah. with who who's doing this with who and who mm -hmm. doesn't like who i thought it was going to be like that where i'm just confused until the end of the movie and then i'm still confused <laughs> no i i got it pretty much like mm -hmm. 
within the first 20 minutes. Like once they had introduced all the characters, Mm -hmm. I realized who everyone was and it was super straightforward and easy to follow. Now that might just be my my brain who is used to reading some Russian literature, (laughs) but I think the the way that, and for people who haven't seen this, hopefully Mm -hmm. the people who are watching this took the break like us at the intermission and watched the movie and came back. Absolutely. But for those that haven't seen it, the best way I can describe it is that it is a Wes Anderson film meets a stage play meets kind of depressing melancholy like like Lars von Trier. <laughs> I think I understood half of that and yes. Yeah. I agree. So if you take like all right, simplify it a bit. <laughs> Let's say if Wes Anderson was in charge of directing the stage performance of Lars von Trier's Melancholia for a more modern audience. That that's that's what I feel like this was. <laughs> I, I accept that as an explanation of this movie. Um. Now I I realize the fault in my explanation is that there are very few people. Less people get that than they would have. It's a Russian period piece, and it's kind of like a stage play. But I feel like. For most of the people who are, this podcast is geared towards maybe, I don't know, uh, they will get that reference or not because they've not seen these movies. And for those of you who aren't, I am the common man who goes to watch movies, whereas Mike is like the expert. I guess more of the expert. Oh, no. I don't know how I'm much not. you want to call well, yourself the expert. I'm only an expert because I've seen a bunch of French films, I guess. <laughs> okay, well, hey, I will call you the resident expert at the very least and toot your horn for you. Um, I'm the common moviegoer. It was very Russian, this movie, which doesn't help, the common moviegoer. It, it really was. I don't know where we want to take it because there's so many good things to say about this movie. Did oh, you? Yeah. All right, we'll start this way and then okay. we'll kind of just work our way upwards. Mm-hmm. Was there anything you didn't like about it? Uh, Kira Knightley's prognathic jaw and the way she talks like this the whole time where like her lower jaw is just jutting out and biting her teeth. Yeah, she's grind- oh. she always grinds her teeth. That's every role. Um, Despite that, though, she actually did, like, her character did it justice. It really did, honestly. Um, so she, I guess, as an actor, the only other thing... So I'll, I guess this will be my hot take for the episode is I don't like sex scenes in movies. I think they're kind of a waste of time and it is a cheap way of padding your film time. I realize most people disagree with that, but I think the sex scenes in this were just, they, they, they were trying to be artistic and that's cool and all, but they didn't really do anything for me. And I don't think they necessarily added to the story, which for me is especially when there's so much, maybe not necessarily story, but there's so much character to tell in a Russian novel adaptation. They were a waste of time, and I despise them. I didn't like those either. They felt very much out of place, and I, on a larger note, I do agree with you. I feel Mm -hmm. like for the most part, and I can't name any off the top of my head that I, to the contrary, Mm -hmm. I feel like most of the time sex scenes are just a waste of space and used to basically draw in um thirsty boys and gals <laughs> into the yeah. movie theater and fill the seats because guess what brad pitt and angelina jolie get steamy in this scene uh i'm just using them as a reference yeah. because that was literally how like mr and mrs smith was sold <laughs> it worked i mean but like the thing is is that i think it's if you have good characters and good writing you don't necessarily need it you can do the whole like alfred hitchcock thing and like mm-hmm. have like 
a, a rocket being launched from Cape Canaveral or something, or or like uh, uh, no 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 a train entering a tunnel is the Hitchcock thing. Oh gosh, sorry. Um, and then it just then you see it like reverse and back out and then back in four or five times. Uh okay. Um, that would have been Visuals. that would have been better mm-hmm. than what they did here. That was the biggest glaring thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like them because how do you make a sex scene feel like a stage play? I've seen a sex scene on a stage play. They just had sex. <laughs> I mean, that that was it. They like, uh, and then we, we talked to the actors afterwards and they were like, yeah, so during that scene, um, everyone who was on that side of the stage where the man's ass was just hanging out, everyone could see it and you can't not look away even though you really don't want to see it because he was burying his ass for this scene. You couldn't actually see anything in the audience from where I was sitting at least, but everyone backstage was like, yeah, it's just what happens, you know, people having sex. And so this it, movie did not capture that for me, despite being very stage play-like. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess in light of that, what you're saying is that it should have just been full-on <laughs> one-take full penetration. <laughs> For yes. like the whole 30 seconds that sex lasts, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very weird mm-hmm. and it didn't fit and I felt like they could have very much done away with mm-hmm. it. They could have done any number of things that were uh, steamy. Other than that, I can't really think of anything that was very glaringly bad mm-hmm. off the top of my head because the performances were amazing. They were. The sets were amazing. Mm-hmm. The stories came to a good, conclusive final arc. Everyone had their their sort of moment, and it was kind of resolved in a way that was very Russian. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say... That generally speaking, when I watch a movie, I don't like it to be very real life, right? I yeah. like it to be kind of, and I we we kind of talked about this, not you and I, but mm-hmm. we talked about this in the the Godfather episode that I okay. did, which is funny because I like this much. <laughs> I think this is a better movie than The Godfather. Oh, gosh. hands down. Okay. Um, okay. Because I think that none of the characters in The Godfather, with the exception of a few, were interesting, <laughs> at least interesting enough to sit there for what felt like three days and watch this slog of a film. Mm-hmm. Whereas here it was, it was still fast. It was fast paced, mm-hmm. but you got a sense of all the characters and who they mm-hmm. were. And even though the movie was sort of, it's not really fantastical, which is mm-hmm. what I generally look for in a movie. Yeah. I like to be entertained by something that is a damn good story. Not yeah. a, not a true to life story. Mm-hmm. Which a true to life story there's places for, but I like that fantastical element to my movies, mm-hmm. right? With just like, you know, any any sort of little thing like this person is, you know, more than normal. Like he's cranked to eleven, as yeah. as these people would say. But everyone had such a good story arc that felt real. Mm-hmm. Even though everything was a stage play, or at least felt like it, with the mm-hmm. exception of Levin. Yes. Who was the only one who was in the <laughs> real world. Which I loved. I think the best scene in the entire movie was when Levin, like at the towards the beginning, Mm -hmm. when Levin is just like, "I'm done with this. I've been rejected." He walks off like the stage doors open into a completely empty snowy field, (laughs) and it's the only thing that's real, and he just walks out into it, and that's that just blew my mind at that point. Oh yeah, 
That was amazing. There were other good scenes, but that mm-hmm. might be the one that just sticks out. Like if I was to, if I was running the the Twitter account, one perfect shot, <laughs> that would be my perfect shot from this film. Is just the stage doors opening for Levin from the stage play that is this farcical, almost larger than life, but still real stage play that is Russian politics and intrigue. Yeah. To I'm going to go work the land on my family estate (laughs) (laughs) which really makes him an outcast at this time just they don't really show that i guess a whole lot other than he's alone in the russian wilderness with peasants of all people but i mean that's like a huge decision to make it's just goodbye society yeah it it really was and I think they do show it a bit, mm-hmm. um, which Domhnall Gleeson as Levin was just perfect. Mm-hmm. I love Domhnall Gleeson, and I'm glad that he was kind of a main character because I've only really seen him in bit roles. Yeah. His character of Levin, they did mention that he was sort of an outcast because his brother mm-hmm. was clearly some sort of communist. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he had, you know, he had married a, an, an Indian woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, also unheard of. Also unheard of, uh, who was also used to be a mm-hmm. prostitute. <laughs> And he had given up, who's clearly his older brother, who had given up his, you know, they're clearly landed elite, right? Mm -hmm. He'd given up his title. But when he leaves, you really, it drives it home in the scene where he is sitting there after a hard day's work, you know, and sort of, you know, asking, hey, his sort of Conan, what is good in life (laughs) moment uh, with the other sort of, I guess, the lead foreman that he works with. And he's talking about his father and he's like, you know, your father would have never worked with us. And he's like, yeah, but I want to, (laughs) you know, you were basically slaves. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah. And (laughs) like, we're much better for it because your father was a good master. And it (laughs) clearly shows that while Levin is still the landed elite he's clearly an outcast because this is not how they act and even the the slaves and servants and and fiefs don't don't think it's weird right Mm -hmm. so you do get a sense of it and then he does come back eventually and he gets married and yada yada and he has the happy ending and anna karenina has the bad ending yeah because you mean he's the foil to anna karenina his performance and i think jude law Jude yeah, Law surprised as me. Karenin. That man is a saint. <laughs> I, I don't care what anyone says about this movie other than Jude Law portrayed a saint in this movie because, man, Dang, <laughs> he put up yeah. with some shit. Gosh. So I may have cheated a little bit, and by cheated, I mean after watching the movie, uh, my fiance's read the book, and we watched the movie together. So she was able to go through and be like, okay, compared to the book, Karenin's really not a good guy himself. And I think when I was watching the movie, possibly because I was watching it with her, um, we had just, you know, different opinions. I did not view Karenin at all as a saint. I viewed him as kind of a, he was trying to position himself and having a wife is a good position. So to have an unfaithful wife is therefore a bad position, which reflects badly on him, which means he's not going to get the position he wants in whatever office of government he worked in. I have honestly no idea. He was more concerned with maintaining appearances than really comforting his wife or loving his wife or being at all a husband. 
And I think they tried to display that with the fun, uh, what was the fact we can't, you had um, the Vronsky. prophylactic, the, no, the, um, oh, the oh. reusable condom. Well, Vronsky's um, kind of a also yeah. prophylactic. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, gross. He um, is definitely a fuckboy. <laughs> 100%. But I would say when he pulled out the reusable condom, I viewed that as a way of just saying that they fuck each other, but they don't love each other. And Anna clearly did not love Karenin. I don't think Karenin really loved Anna. I think he, I don't want to say used her, but didn't really treat her with anything other than you are my wife, you must do wifely duties. So... I, I see what you're saying there. And the reason that I said he was a saint more so that he portrayed in this book. And I mm -hmm. also watched it with my wife who okay. had read the book. Well, most of it. She hasn't finished it because she's been like, she got to a certain point and then she's just like, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. And then, she, you know, stuff happened. Yeah. Life gets in the way. Um, but she's read the vast majority of this book. Okay. And she's kind of like, she didn't quite have that strong of a feeling of, of um, Karen in that he's sort of portrayed as a bad guy mm -hmm. in the book. I think... That one, a lot of it is because of the, and they present this in the movie too, is that being a good husband isn't necessarily about loving mm -hmm. in that society. Mm -hmm. It's, and which is the way we view it as in, in our okay. lens. Being a good husband is about providing for your family and maintaining that, you know, maintaining mm -hmm. that sort of social standing for your family, right? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, Karenin was sort of a very upright, upstanding person and even to the point where if you notice sir, during the scene where they're having the horse race right yeah. where it's kind of the mask slips and everyone knows at that point that she oh, is yeah. you know banging vronsky mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. everyone suspected but now they know right <laughs> yeah because in 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 russian i'm sure you know russian literature and russian culture uh at least at that time it was a very big no-no to basically use someone's first name unless you were mm -hmm. on extraordinarily really familiar terms yeah. with them. So it would be, it would be ridiculous for her to 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 say Alexei that mm -hmm. name of Alexei, you know, Vronsky. Yeah. Which Alexei, that's the name of her husband and <laughs> Vronsky. So you could see that. Yes, I think that part of it was that for his sake he was trying to cover up mm -hmm. but i think at that point he knew what was going on and i think he wanted and he also and i think he even said at one point we're doing this for your own good because you cannot be married to this man if you look like a whore basically you, if <laughs> yeah. i if you get divorced if, if you divorce me mm -hmm. you can't like that's the thing you can't mm -hmm. do it so he was trying to cover for her in that moment, not necessarily just for his sake, but mm -hmm. I think for hers, because that's his husbandly duty in that time. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily because, you know, maybe they didn't love each other or anything. And and for a long time, you saw him even forgive, it, to a certain extent, Vronsky when she was sick on her, almost on her deathbed. Mm -hmm. Like, she, he came up, forgave her. And like even held Vronsky's hand as they thought she was dying after childbirth. Mm -hmm. It was sort of one of those things where it's like, I, I know I couldn't do that. I'd just be like, you know what? Ho, I'm out. Sorry. You've been. And like he he tolerated, like he knew mm -hmm. what was going on and he tolerated it because he's like, my wife is happy with him. Mm -hmm. Fine. You know what? That's great. I don't know if he tolerated it so much because his wife is happy. I thought it was more of a, as long as you don't make it public and then it became public, that's when it started to go really downhill is you have created a problem 
not only is it a problem for you, it is a problem for me. And he wasn't approving clearly of the um, affair that she was having. I don't know a man that would, except I actually do. If you've never read A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, um, there's definitely a weird threesome sex affair going on in there. Strange, strange people. I don't understand them. Anyway, um, I, I felt like he was going downhill at that point a little bit as far as, okay, now you have embarrassed me publicly and I can't countenance that. That's... He does come back when all the emotions are going on. I felt that was very Russian, to use that term again. We've been using yeah. it a lot, is to, is to just have everyone, you know, they, they've got these wild emotions running around, and they have these changes of heart that are absolutely dramatic. And then he kind of goes back to not so much loving her. I can't, they don't get divorced, do they? No, I they never do. they ever did. No, they never no. did. Um, I don't think bad guy is necessarily the proper thing to call Karenin. I think you're right in that he... he he was trying to do his best or did love her in a weird way, in a very stage production style, aristocratic way, maybe. But I wouldn't call him, I, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't say that he loved Anna or that he was like a, if not a bad person, he wasn't a great guy. I think that he loved her in the traditional sense okay. of the oligarchy. Okay, uh, that's fair. Uh, kind of versus, I guess, I mean, maybe maybe it was his foil or not. I don't know. But Steva, who was clearly like, <laughs> he loves his, he's, it's, it's shown, he loves his children. Yeah. And he loves his wife. He also just loves banging sluts. <laughs> I, I don't know that he loved his wife either. I think they were both trash people. Um, I, Steve, I felt was almost like more of a trash person because... He loved his wife back before she became homely, and now she's no longer for him a young, virile male, or whatever he called himself. Um, yeah, well, I'm talking about in the sense of in the context okay, of it, yeah. not necessarily. Again, I think it. I think I'm trying to divorce my modern conception of mm -hmm. what we think of love as versus mm -hmm. what the Russian conception is. Because I think there it's more of a duty. Well, I think that's why they had the foil in there as um, Levin is. Levin and Kitty, they had like an actual true love going on where Kitty goes out to the country, finds Levin. Levin's brother has sores on his back and Kitty just buckles down and says, okay, I'll nurse him. That's like the true love that they're trying to portray as the good thing versus those people in St. Petersburg or in Moscow who are yeah sure they're married and all but I, I wouldn't say that they love each other necessarily yeah i i would say too that i think levin is the the foil to all of it you're mm -hmm. right because he's really again by the cinematography like mm -hmm. that's telegraphing that he is the one that you should be focusing on here. yeah i think by degrees they're all they all have they all have their own vices and mm -hmm. virtues but at the end of the day, they're all still in that play, right? With Absolutely. the exception of Levin. Yeah. For the most part, mm -hmm. right? Whereas, like, Steva, yeah, he's still a, a good father, I think, probably, mm -hmm. at the end, even though he is a womanizer. Mm -hmm. And his wife, like, you know, towards the end, like, she's like, yeah, if I would have had the chance, I would have done the same thing you did, Anna. Like, <laughs> they're both kind of like, you know, and she's, she's very good for having forgiven him. Mm -hmm. But, like, man, like, you don't feel good about that relationship. But no. he's kind of generally, like, he's a fun guy, which is why you <laughs> like that character of Steva. Yeah. He's kind of like the, he's the, he's the comic sort of relief of the whole thing, uh, punctuating it. And then you have... 
um, Vronsky and Anna who just spiral in this sort of Romeo and Juliet type mm -hmm. thing until she kills herself because mm -hmm. of morphine uh, and <laughs> craziness. And morphine's um, an absolute good for you. It does not drive you crazy. She was just lovesick, yeah, right? Yeah, lovesick. Um, like in that movie where she was she was dating that one Jedi and then oh, she yeah. died of a broken heart. Uh... Wait. <laughs> uh, that was her IRL clone, oh. Natalie Portman. The other thing with it, too, was just that it was a gorgeously shot film, which I yeah. think that even in modern times, you're really going to, like, every movie's going to look good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're just bad. <laughs> but the way it was shot, the mm -hmm. camera work, the movement was so intentional and and went into the, um, to the story's concept mm -hmm. so well that it, it really just blew my mind how good it was. And I've never seen anything that was really like this, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, even some other experimental films. Uh, the only thing I can really liken it to almost is, is I guess, kind of a Wes Anderson film. But this yeah. is, like I said earlier, but it really isn't. It's its mm -hmm. own beast. And it's just really good. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Um, it's, it's hard for me to comment on cinematography other than just say... Dang, I was blown away by this, um, which I was. Uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like when we started watching the movie because I hadn't seen any previews or anything or, you know, watched a trailer for the movie. I We did go in blind. And yeah, I, I completely really went in blind. me off guard. Other than, like, some of the trivia, like, that's yeah, all yeah. I even looked at. Because yeah. I think we ended up, because you were the one who brought this to me and said, yeah. hey, I want to do... Anna Karenina. Yeah. And then I looked it up. I'm like, there's like 30 versions of this <laughs> film. Which one do we talk about? And we landed yeah. on this one because, I mean, honestly, I think the deciding factor was Kira Knightley. Yeah. Because like, man, that might be bad. So let's watch that one. <laughs> I was kind of disappointed it wasn't bad, but you know, I'll, I'll let that slide. Kira Knightley, you get a pass on this one. It was so good. It just blew my expectations away. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know that that I've been like had that much of a 180 on a movie mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't think of any that have just blown my mind that, that much. I'm sure that there are. And mm -hmm. as soon as we're, we hit the stop button on this, <laughs> uh, and stop recording, basically I'm just going to be like, Oh, I know like three, but <laughs> yeah. for right now, after having seen it, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't really think that there really is any movie that I can say in recent memory that just surprised me so much that I thought mm -hmm. I was going to hate because again, I hate period pieces yeah. generally. <laughs> I, I, within the context of this, I like, this is the best period piece I've seen because it's not one. <laughs> it really isn't. It doesn't because most of them, they try to do the straightforward. This is what we're filming. This is how it's being filmed. It's like any other movie. And this one didn't do that. It showed you something new and something kind of fantastic yeah it really was and i think that as far as what it is now there might be other movies out there that are like oh yes we're being a stage play yeah. but i don't think that any will really capture the core concept of what this movie was which is the dichotomy between mm -hmm. levin and and anna karenina because yeah. at the end of the day it the movie really is about levin <laughs> even though it's called the it's, and the book yeah. is anna karenina mm -hmm. 
because she's the one that is supposed to be the example of what not to do, right? Whereas <laughs> Levin is, he is her foil. He is yeah. the one who is, uh, you know, this way. Whereas everybody else in the movie, they all kind of have their own shades of gray. Mm-hmm. And I think they all kind of get an ending, yeah. uh, whether or not it is good or bad or indifferent. Mm-hmm. I think everyone in general maybe gets a good ending, at the mm-hmm. very least, better than they were. So like Karenin, right? Mm-hmm. He ends up, you know, he goes through all of this stuff. He, and we kind of differed on this where he's mm-hmm. not necessarily a saint, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, uh, as I kind of portrayed him, <laughs> but he's not really a bad guy either. Yeah. I think that at the end of the movie, he ends up raising Anna and Vronsky's child, the, their daughter, mm-hmm. out of a sense of duty, but also because I think he really does truly understand maybe I do need to love mm-hmm. in a more emotional sense mm-hmm. because i don't he didn't realize what he had until it was gone uh and then um steva i think that they kind of had the best outcome that they could have they they <laughs> stayed together and yeah. even though he's kind of a scumbag <laughs> and she kind of doesn't like it mm-hmm. i think that for their family and within the context of the sort of love is duty mm-hmm. of the russian aristocracy i think that that's probably as happy of an ending as they're going to get sad, but you know, honestly true. Yeah. Um, it, it really, I, I can't, I cannot stop saying good things about the movie. Mm-hmm. Are there any other sort of big things or takeaways or things you notice about this movie that you really, that you really liked or dislike? I mean, I know we both kind of disliked the sex scenes in it, yeah. but were there any other things that you really liked? Because again, it really, I think that it showed the, the dichotomy, the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I actually finished this point, was that the dichotomy is that there are these foils and the traditional cinematography is fused with the uh, with the stage play aspect of it, yeah. where it's showing that, yes, when you're in the real world, Levin is the real character you should be looking at, whereas mm-hmm. everything else is sort of a farce. <laughs> yeah. And it, it doesn't really matter in the end. Mm-hmm. What else you got on this? Uh, the one thing I'm going to say is for all of the book purists, out there because i know they they exist who say you just got to read the book you can't really watch the movie um this movie did what it should do and it made me want to read the book which i mean i didn't like not want to read the book but it has given me kind of a kick in the pants you kind of got to read this book like i I will watch this movie again at some point i'm sure but i also want to read the book yeah and and that that's the other reason why other because a period piece, I would, and I don't think I've actually ever really seen, I've never seen a, a version of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Which there is are, a challenge. Yes, because there are so many. I'm sure that I will at some point for this podcast, but <laughs> to this date, I've never seen a version of it. But I know what happens in the story because it's kind of, you know, it's, yeah. it's out there. Yeah. But as far as that goes, this made me want to not only watch it again, which for any period piece that I've seen is hard to do. <laughs> And it made me want to read the book. And you're much more of a book person than I am. Mm-hmm. I am a, I'm an audiobook kind of yeah. guy, and I mostly do like fiction, sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. But like, man, that I do obviously read Russian. But this was not one of the things that I, you know, I'm more of a uh, Solzhenitsyn yeah, kind of guy. Not the romance. Or um, if oh, this is a romance. Who's the other one? Not 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 the Tolstoy. Um, um Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Yeah. That's the one. I'm a, I, I like Dostoevsky and Solzhenitsyn a little bit better, mm-hmm. but man, it makes me want to read some more Tolstoy. Like <laughs> at the very least. Yeah. Uh, it and you're right. I think it did what it 
what any good adaptation should do. And mm-hmm. it was good in its own right. Yeah. And without having read the book, could even possibly be better and more succinct in its, <laughs> um, in its, in the way it, it was sort of presented. And and frankly, having you know watched it with um, you know my wife who had read most of the book, mm-hmm. I think that for her they didn't really take any liberties with this movie. She said that for the most part, other than she couldn't really didn't really remember the ending. She hasn't read the book to the end, but. She sort of said that, you know, it was very faithful to mm-hmm. the feeling and conveying the message of the book. Yeah, which is more important than getting a word-for-word, scene-for-scene adaptation. Because, believe it or not, not everything written in a book will translate well to a movie. And as far as I can tell, they did a really good job of yeah. making this a tellable story. I, I think too, and that goes back to, and especially these Victorian pieces, like mm-hmm. let's, let's take, you know, any Dickens novel. Yeah. I mean, Dickens was, most of these people were paid by the word, right? <laughs> it, shows. it shows. It shows. Like as great as all of these authors are, and mm-hmm. we say that they are, they could have, like if they were modern authors, it would <laughs> nine, you know, 50% of what they wrote would get cut. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be on the cutting room floor. So I think that this movie, while it had a good hefty runtime, it didn't feel like it did. It did it not. It was no. so fun. Yeah. Last question before we leave it off and rate this, because mm-hmm. I think that both of our estimations went are astronomically high comparatively. <laughs> I wanted to ask you this question and you don't have to answer necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you just have a gut reaction, great. I kind of have a gut on this one, but uh, here's what it is. What would you double feature this with? This is a fun question and a romance with a romance. It's going to have to go with Shaun of the Dead, obviously. <laughs> I I like that. I don't know 100% know that I would go that route. Here, here's my gut on this. So Anna Karenina is sort of a, a confluence, at least the movie is a confluence. It's a sort of a dark, kind of a little bit hopeful, but sort of very Russian, mm-hmm. dreary, dry ending, right? Yeah. But it's also a confluence of stage plays and real life. And it has, you know, some dancing. Mm-hmm. It's got a little bit of music in it. Mm-hmm. What else is a good confluence of stage play and uh, real life, like, kind of coming together in this weird amalgamation of it's clearly not real life. You're not watching a movie necessarily mm-hmm. of a real thing that's happened, but you're also not watching a musical. Yeah, It's weird. And then it's also got that sort of uh romance sort of you know uh, you know kind of good bad and different ending for yeah. a lot of the different characters clearly you're going to be watching the blues brothers <laughs> <laughs> because so anna karenina is your shot and the blues brothers is your chaser you've got you've got the the dancing of anna karenina you've yeah. got the sort of somberness to it you've got the through line of the of the maybe jilted lover you yeah. know the carrie fisher in that movie who's trying to you know albeit like like karenin is not trying to blow uh anna up with a rocket launcher at any point in time during the film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know he damn well wants to at some point. <laughs> so it's basically you're taking all of the frustrations of that movie and the sort of the good, the overall theme of these things making this confluence to show this dichotomy of a story. But you're doing it in a very serious way and then you're doing it in a zany way. <laughs> and I think it's the perfect double feature for this movie. Now again... Mm-hmm. I might be wrong and way off base on that one, but I, my gut is telling me Blues Brothers is the way here, man. Then again, maybe Blues Brothers is just the film that I want 
you know, to double feature with everything because it is so good. <laughs> and honestly, no hate on that. I would absolutely double feature that with a lot of things. That's true. So I think if you want, we can go ahead and rate this. So you gave it a three out of five snake pluskins. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, three out of five. Yeah. What what you bringing it up to because i know you're bringing it up i i am absolutely the three was like that middle of the road i have no idea and i brought myself up to a 4.4 out of five snake pliskins really the only thing bringing it down was the stupid sex scenes which made no sense to me and you know just maybe it isn't exactly my perfect kind of movie just because i prefer action or i prefer horror stories and you know that's always going to come against a movie but it was really well done amazing and i would absolutely watch it again i think for so i think for for how well and and this is a huge swing for me i was going to go with a four okay um but i think that because of how well i liked this movie and how well this was done i think that i really have to bring it up to a 4.5 and like you the only if it did not have that those dumbass <laughs> sex scenes in it that were just so, they almost took me out of the film but yeah. thankfully the rest of the characters and the the actual set pieces and everything else really drug it through to sort of like made me forget about those yeah but those are the glaring things if they didn't if those weren't in the movie i might give it a perfect five and that is Dang. that I went from a one snake pliskin, <laughs> a single solitary snake pliskin, to almost a perfect five. That's that's how good this movie is. And I think that anyone who likes period pieces or just interesting camera work should really go see this. If And I guess anyone who likes Russian literature, mm-hmm. anyone who likes period pieces, anyone who just likes really interesting shots. And this was more of a... It was sort of cinema in a way that was presented not just with the story of it, but mm-hmm. with the cinematography being a driving force. And I loved it. Um, but yeah. I guess if you don't have anything else, we'll leave it there and we'll catch you next time. Peace. And I wonder if it really was. I think it was always was show business. I think they were pretending to be factories and it was still show business. I heard myself speaking these terrible corny lines, and there I was stuck with $350,000 worth of show, and I had to get on somehow. Plus, at the time, oh, they were real jerks. Plus, plus, at the time, really pieces of work. Plus, plus, at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Plus, plus, at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. I really did, because he was a monster. But they all were, or almost all of them, those guys. He came on as a monster, you know. He snarled at you, you like that. Plus, plus, at the time. He was a monster, Plus, plus, at the time. I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Follow us on Twitter at MWNS Podcast or contact us at MWNS Podcast at ProtonMail.com. 
All music used in this episode is produced by Young Carts and used with license.